0: Welcome to Finance with Factor, a place you can come to laugh and learn from local experts about everything related to the world of real estate. Each week we cover a unique topic to help you understand the mortgage industry, navigate the home buying process and grow your business while maintaining a slice of sanity. Now that he has climbed safely atop his soapbox, here is your host, a senior loan officer with Mortgage Network, Jason Factor,
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Finance with Factor. Thank you very much for joining me again this week. Hopefully, you've been listening for a while. We're now almost 90 episodes in on a variety of formats. It's been a couple of months since we've gone to podcast. If you haven't listened, please rate, follow, subscribe, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't done it already, find your partner's phone, pick up their phone, subscribe for them too. We'd really appreciate it. The more followers, the better. Every single follower... For the rest of the year that we get every new subscription, I'll be donating $10 to the Friends of Boston Homeless to help one person become housed. So thank you very much for your support this far. And again, please like, share, and follow for your friends as well. Today, I'm very excited to bring on a topic that I've wanted to talk about for a number of years. It's something that I talk about with clients pretty much every single call. It's something we talk about with Realtors pretty much every single day. And yet it's one of the most confusing parts of what we do in the mortgage industry. And that is the concept of what's my rate and how the heck did you get there? Um, and what does it mean when you hear banks quoting, for example, there's a big bank that I won't name that has a red banner on it that pretty much online they always quote, it's always a half a point. So if you see their rates are at 2.75 today, I can guarantee you they're charging you half a point. Because that's just how they advertise online. It's what they've always done. It's what they'll always do. And it's what they're doing right now. And it's, it's fun to see those loan estimates come in and explain to clients, how did they get there and why am I not there? Or why are the closing costs so different? Today, we're going to dive into that a little bit with a friend of mine. His name is Ryan Hayes. Ryan is a uh, SVP at Mortgage Network, a Senior Vice President of Strategic Growth. And prior to that, he ran secondary at LeaderBank. He has worked at Salem Five on the capital markets teams. Um, he's got a wealth of experience in understanding what makes a good loan from a banking side. With that said, I want to bring Ryan up. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Um, thank you for joining us. And perhaps you would like to introduce yourself.
2: Thanks for having me, Jason. I, uh, appreciate uh, the invite and it's great what you're doing uh for donating to uh for each one of your subscribers that's a fantastic idea so uh it's uh it's good to be here um i've been in the mortgage business uh, uh i was basically born into the mortgage business my dad owned a mortgage company when i was a kid and so if i wanted some money to go to the movies i'd have to you know copy files to send to investors to earn some dollars to go to go to the movies on an afternoon so Uh, My career started as a loan officer uh, and then shifted into capital markets and operations. And and now here at Mortgage Network, um, you know, strategic growth uh, can mean, you know, take a lot of forms, whether that can mean
1: pretty much anything.
2: Rates and products (laughs) and price or technology or growing into new markets, all that sort of stuff. So it's a pretty good catch all for. Uh, a lot of the projects that we're doing on a daily basis, but I am involved uh, you know, each and every day in the pricing uh, and rates that come out from mortgage networks, uh, you know, loan officers and clients.
1: And one of the reasons that this conversation started is because I need an exception one time on a particular product for a particular rate at a particular price. And I went to Ryan. We talked it through. We were able to figure it all out. It ended with a customer and a happy homeowner. And a good rate with a great loan and a beautiful home um, and it sort of spurred this conversation of like how do we talk about this in a way that is understandable for like high school 101 of mortgage finance and so i wanted to kind of pick your brain here today and see if we can make this a bit more understandable to empower home to ask the right questions and empower realtors to think beyond just the rate if you will um, how are rates calculated? Like, let's start at the very high end. An interest rate is a percentage, but how do we get there?
2: So you're going to have to wave the flag, Jason, and me if, if I start getting too into the weeds on any of the secondary terms. But I'm going to try to keep it um, as simple as possible. There are really two ways that rates are calculated. One is for your typical conventional. FHA loans, which represents, you know, 85 plus percent of the business that we do. And those rates are made up of two main things. One is the the first piece is the asset and the second piece is the servicing. So let's focus on the asset to start with. The assets are packaged and sold to one of the GSEs, Fannie or Freddie, and those loans are then held together securitized and issued as bonds for investors to buy
1: so the, if if to take this down to like a cmbc level if i'm yeah. uh, someone reading you know yahoo finance and i see the bond trade is doing x or if i have a student loan and my student loan has been bought and sold and the servicing rates have been moved or if i'm a homeowner and the servicing rates have been moved that's what's going on, right? Like the, my, my, my collateral has been moved to a different, uh, to a different servicer
2: yeah, or, so, or a
1: different backer.
2: Yeah. So, so generally, right, on the mortgage-backed security side, because what most people don't know is that the mortgage-backed security market is actually the second biggest bond market in the world behind U.S. treasuries, meaning that it's a very stable, because it's government-backed very stable uh asset to own so things like pension funds large you know large investment institutions they are actually utilizing these you know alongside of treasuries right the the us 10 year to to gain a little bit of interest in a very safe asset class so somebody's going to pay you something for those assets the second piece of that is actually the servicing of the loan. So when we talk about servicing of the loan, we're talking about actually collecting the payments and then mm-hmm. also doing things like if the borrower is late, issuing notices. If if the worst case happens, foreclosing on a home, right? Mm-hmm. And that servicer has a value based upon the interest payments that they can collect, meaning Correct. they set a price along with the fannie mae price which is determined by all of the investors that are looking to buy so on the on the mortgage backed security side those rates can go up and down for all of the reasons that your treasury rates would go up and down inflation geopolitical issues other asset classes that are earning more interest right you know if i could yep. earn 5% in a google bond or something like they, that
1: they move with the stock market
2: exactly and the second piece is the service, well,
1: the bond market, but
2: yeah, but no, but two of the, the market, they right? work, generally, they work in parallel,
1: and that's actually maybe another question is yeah. that we get all the time is like, why why do those two tend to move um, in relation to each other?
2: Yeah, so the stock, the stock or equity market and the bond market tend to move inversely, right? So when one goes up, the other goes down, and generally, that's what we call a flight to safety. Meaning yep. if there is a lot of uncertainty, investors, major investors, want to be in the safest asset classes. Meaning if they put all of their money in bonds, it's going to depress the yields and rates will come down on those bonds because there's lots of inflows. If, if we're in a very strong economic market and we're seeing tons of growth and tons of money is flowing into equities, the bonds actually will need to come up To attract money, so those yields will get higher.
1: In the same way that if you think about it from like, you know, Wall Street to Main Street, sort of speak, like if I'm a client and um, stocks are doing really well, I might be more apt to invest in stocks versus if the stock market seems uncertain, I might be more willing to keep that in my savings account for a little bit. The bonds become the savings account, it's the safe, securitized place to store money while it's still in play to store it so that I can go back and recapture stocks and capital later.
0: And so like the big multi-billion
1: dollar uh, money movers on the market, they're essentially moving into bonds as a place to hold their money without having to take it out of the market. In the same way that like, if I'm going to retire next year, hopefully most of my 401k is now in bonds as opposed to in penny stocks.
2: Correct. Absolutely. That's a great analogy. And so you have that piece on the, on the asset side and then the servicing side, which tends to move a little bit less, but is affected by things like prepayment speeds, by things like the, you know, the pandemic, right? In which you know, there may be uh, a lot more borrowers that can't afford their payment. So the cost of servicing would go up and that would affect how much I would be willing to pay for the cost. It
1: comes down to individual risk whether it's with the the creditor, the institution, or the actual property, right? So to get into that a little bit, um, why would, say, a single-family home have a better rate or a better price than, say, a condo or a multifamily home?
2: So generally, those things are based on risk quality of resale. So the easiest way to look at collateral-based changes is if a bank or servicer had to take on that asset and then resell that asset, how easy would it be for them to do that? The market for single-family homes is much greater than the market for investment properties or for families. So that's where you start to see that difference. The market for condos is very big in the United States, but it's for a specific type of buyer in specific geographies. Mm -hmm. Single families, obviously, when somebody needs to resell that asset, it's just much easier to do. It's
1: more universal and it's less risky for the lender or the servicer because Ryan Hayes is buying a single family home. I vet you, right? I know who Ryan is. He says he's going to live there. It's his primary. That's very different than a condo where I don't know if Jason Factor upstairs is running a meth lab or has like a giant default, and isn't going to make his payments this month. Um, yeah. So like there's an asset risk there that becomes absorbed and reflected in the pricing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Or now, the condo building puts a big assessment on and half of the people can't afford that assessment, right? That, those are the types of risks that, that servicers look at for different types of asset classes.
1: And certain servicers might assess that risk slightly differently, right? Like one lender might look at investment properties and say, we're all in. Another one might be more cautious and you see that reflected in their rate. You know, Absolutely. that's why one might be more bullish at a certain time than others. Now- that,
2: That's why at a, a company like Mortgage Network, right? We deal with a lot of different investors. Um, you know, we try to, to offer out products and the best rates for each of these products by having strong relationships with a number of investors right something that if you go to a single bank right where they're going to keep that loan on portfolio you're just going to go with their risk appetite and portfolio
1: and we, and we saw this particularly when i mean we'll just be to be easy say chase bank for example right like a big national bank at the beginning of the pandemic they cut their um, due to risk tolerance. They cut their guidelines, their thresholds, their pricing, essentially, the way that they were pricing someone for a, a, um, who was uh, self-employed was very different than the way they were underwriting someone who wasn't because there was so much more risk at the beginning of the pandemic for that particular borrower that they weren't willing to absorb. And so like, you see these differences at different institutions. But I guess the question then becomes, I keep using the word price, what the heck is that?
2: So the, the price for a loan is essentially the combination of what the what Wall Street will pay you for the asset, plus what the servicer will pay you for the, the future cash flows on the servicing stream. And that sets a price and those prices determine what rates a company like Mortgage Network can offer. Because we need to to get a certain amount of money to pay things like expenses and rent and underwriter salaries and things like that. So we set a certain price that we think will cover our costs and make a little profit to set for the rates.
1: And every single bank is doing this, right? Like every bank is coming out with with a number grade, if you will, for every single loan. And then that determines what their rate is in the market, essentially, correct?
2: Correct. So, you know, each loan that comes in, depending on the risk factors and categories, you'll get a rate and a price. And that rate might be three and a quarter. And that price can vary on that three and a quarter rate from something that could give you a little bit of a lender credit to something that could also mean you have to pay a little bit of points to get to that rate.
1: So to get into that, um, an analogy that I often make is the idea of rates being like your letter grade in school. So if you just think of like flat grades, you know, we are supposed to write A-graded loans as loan officers, no matter what bank you're at. How the grading system works from, you know, Mrs. Chase's Spanish class to Jason Factor's Spanish class might be a little different, right? We might grade a little differently, but we all have to come out with A's. The number grade becomes like your test score or your your grade. And a 90 is an A and a 100 is an A. If at any point I get 105, well, that's my lender credit, right? What does that really mean? Like, what does it mean when something grades or prices over market and, and I'm giving that lender credit back
2: yeah absolutely just like if you're if you're selling anything right if my sales price is two dollars and somebody decides that they're going to give me two dollars and fifty cents for that loan right or that widget I've got 50 cents now and, and that 50 cents can do a couple of things right it could you know I could keep it and put it in my pocket or I could discount that that, you know, widget by the 50 cents and offer that back to the customer. Essentially yeah. that's the same thing we have going on with rates. When an investor says that they're going to pay us some excess over what our our target price is, we can offer that back in a sale discount as a lender credit. Right. So, so that's how we can give that money back to the customer.
1: So essentially when you see someone and, and I just ran into this this morning, actually. I, I told the person, look, the rate is, the market is exactly between two and three quarters and two and seven eighths. Like your, your actual market rate is exactly between that, but there's no such thing as like a, a 2.8 loan. Um, so I can give you 2.75 and charge you $500 in points to buy that loan, to essentially take a a loan that grades at 89 and call it an A, here's what we need to do. You can pay the $500 at closing with a um, in points, or in his case, I could give him $1,200 back as a lender credit and at the higher rate. And then whether or not that makes sense just comes down to what are your goals for the property, right? So like if if you're going to be in this property for a long time, well then $500 to save $40 a month might make a ton of sense.
2: Yeah. And and this leads to sort of a great tool for your, you know, realtors and clients, which is asking about the points and fees associated with each of the note rates that they're given. Right. And so if they're given 2.875, okay, what, how, how much would it cost me to get to 2.75, right? What, that's a very good question for somebody to ask. Or if you say, hey, I, I'd like to do this without paying closing costs, or I'd like to get a, a lender credit, okay, at 299, what, what type of lender credit could I get back? What type of cash could I get back at
1: 2.99? It's also something that you should ask, um, in my opinion. Whenever you are getting um, say like, Hey, this is a first time home buyer product, or this is some specialty thing that we're doing. It's mostly marketing fluff, right? So here's some like special lender credit that we're giving for all firefighters or for all first time home buyers or for all people with red hair. Actually, that's illegal. You can't do that, but you get my <laughs> point. Um, <laughs> um, you should be asking these questions, right? Like, and, and what are some of the questions, I guess, specifically to those types of programs or products, or when you see things advertised with points or with credits that you think realtors should be empowering or financial advisors should be empowering their clients to ask, or if you're just a first-time home buyer and you're coming at this and you get that loan estimate and you see some of this stuff on there, what are some ways that we can help them decode that?
2: Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great point. And you know, it's one of those things where you wanted to delve into any of those discounts that you're getting, because like you mentioned, most of those discounts are coming off of the excess premium that banks or mortgage companies are being paid by investors for your loan. So if that's the case, right, you may say to somebody, Okay, if I was not going to take the first time home buyer product and just was in a regular conventional product, what would my rate in, in, in lender credits or points or fees look like? Right? That $500 that's coming off always seems like a great idea until you realize that it's actually bought your rate up an eighth. Yeah. Right. And it so it turns
1: out banks aren't very altruistic, is what I'm learning.
2: <laughs> they, they, they are not right they are they're looking for marketing tactics just like anyone else and look you could on one hand say hey at least they're giving it back and not just putting it in their pocket but mm-hmm. the real thing is that m- most of these programs or specialty programs or discounts are really just built into the premium that's coming out
1: and there are some instances where there is a true discount. Um, you know, For example, like there are some programs that may be chartered into a certain bank and in a certain geographic area or wherever, they're going to give this discount and it actually is the true market rate and we're giving you this on top. There might be certain opportunities, say like mass housing, for example, where they do give down payment assistance and that's a true discount, right? Now that said, mass housing's rates, might be a bit higher, but there is a true discount there for certain products and things. And so, like, just asking those questions and making sure you're exploring all those options seems to be what you're saying is best practice.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, you'll be able to see pretty clearly if you're comparing what a normal program would look like, rate and price versus what this first time home prior or first responders program or something like that looks like, right? And if and if those two programs are the same, you kind of have your answer there, right? Mass Housing is a great example of, uh, you know, a quasi-public entity, right, that has grant money for first-time homebuyers, right? That's built in. So, you know, things like that tend to tend to be true to what they are, right? There, Mass Housing is is a is a organization that is trying to promote home ownership they write grants they get they get some money to be able to give back to buyers right things like that so and look there may be some banks that have that and but it's just good practice to ask those questions right and to say when 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 the product is looking like something very special right to to just ask about what the the normal product looks like as well
1: now every day you're out there studying and have for a very long time, studying these capital markets and some of the movements and trends. I am not going to ask you to be predictive radio here and tell me what they're doing today or what they're going to do next week, because we were joking before we started, we would be on a plane having a very nice dinner in like Paris right now, if you actually knew those answers. Um, But the general philosophy of how things move. You mentioned they tend to move inversely, right? So Mm -hmm. stocks are up, bonds go down, bonds are up when the market's uncertain, and therefore Mm -hmm. rates tend to follow the bond trade is what what we're saying. That's why you hear terms like the 10-year curve, um, bond trade, security-backed mortgage market, just some of the buzzwords that you tend to hear around mortgages. Um, How are the general health of these markets moving as we um, move into sort of this next phase of the market?
2: Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. We generally have a saying that things that are not good for the world, right, tend to be good for the bond market or good for your mortgage rates, right? So, Because sure. when it's uncertain, like- I run to safety. Exactly. Things, you know, like geopolitical issues and wars and all of that, you know, earthquakes, you know, hurricanes, all of that kind of stuff, things that create uncertainty.
1: It's why bankers for many millennia have been cartoonized as horrific, horrible people.
2: <laughs> yes. So generally, though, that does mean you'll be able to get a good rate on your mortgage. Right. And so the the things to the things to follow in sort of general trends. Right. The, the U.S. Treasury, the 10-year yield is, is a pretty good indicator of what mortgage rates are doing. Not always perfect, but generally, if the 10-year Treasury is going up, meaning the, the, the people, and I put people in quotes, the entities that are buying in 10 years, right, especially big, are countries and massive, massive funds, right? So, if they're all piling into the 10 year for safety, generally that's gonna flow throughout the entire market. So people look at the 10 year because it's very well traded. It's used for safety by, by all types of different people. So it's a good thing to, to sort of watch. In general, right? We've been on a downturn in rates for a long time, right? With some, some sort of subtle ups and downs. Um, you know, we, we tend to hit a bottom in rates where, it just doesn't make sense There's no for margin people left. to actually put money into them. Yeah. Yep. So when rates get too low, they say, well, even though it's risky out there, I'd rather earn something on my money than nothing, right? Yeah. So that kind of sets our bottom. And then the top goes up with just how much money is flowing out of bonds and into equities.
1: So... Rates tend to be fairly stable, right? Like very rarely do I wake up one morning and my rate jumped a quarter in, in when I'm looking at pricing on a given product. Pricing, however, can move and sometimes pretty dramatically. Um, so like when a realtor asks me, like, what are rates doing today, or like what's the rate sheet for this particular property? I personally don't produce rate sheets. I, I think that they only set people up for Uh, for mismatched expectations. Um, What are some things that, so the 10-year trade uh, or the 10-year is certainly one thing to watch. If you're not even that savvy, I have often heard the rumor and I don't know if this is true or not, but even something as simple as looking at your local gas station prices and how they're going up and down can sometimes be a good indicator. Is that also true?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, things like oil move, with demand, right? And so when the economy is going great and everyone's happy and people are filling their boats and their jets and their cars and everything, right? That then they're they're using more and prices are are, are going up, right? It's it's one of those those pieces that moves with supply and demand, just like the it's not quite sector. as
1: parallel as the 10 year, but no, yeah. if you're if you're just a first-time home buyer, walk into the T station every day and you happen to notice that the gas prices were you know, 250 and today they're 275, it's probably a good indicator that mortgage rates are going up as well.
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny. It can be, it, it's a good indicator that something is happening, right? Sure,
1: and, and I actually even made an error there. I said mortgage rates, I meant pricing. So yeah. like pricing moves. It doesn't mean that that margin is getting pushed enough that we went from an 89 to a 90, and now the rate has moved. But what it does mean is that within that margin of error, the pricing is on the move. And that can be the indicator of like, when when you talk to a loan officer and they say rates are going up, right? What they're really talking about is that the pricing, that margin is getting shorter and shorter. And so there's a chance that we're gonna tip in one direction or the other.
2: Yeah, and, and a great example of that is at your grocery store, right? if a grocery store is buying steak, right? Their pricing for steak may change on a daily basis. It may go up a few pennies a pound, it may go down a few pennies a pound. They're still charging you $15 a pound, no matter what that underlying (laughs) cost does until it gets to a tipping point, right? Until it shrinks the margin or increases the margin enough to make them make a change, right? And so us, out there are buying this stake, right? And we're putting out the stake in our case. And that, that price is generally going to remain a lot more stable than the, than the cost on a daily basis that can go up and down in generally smaller movements every single day, every single minute.
1: It's why nobody can price mortgages live with the market because they would change every single second. If you look at an Nasdaq ticker, it's always moving. So that's the pricing, the rate tends to be the percentage that the bank is going to lend you at. And, yeah. and I think that's, you know, you finally, you've brought it to food. So if you've listened to any of our past episodes, <laughs> you're officially in my wheelhouse now. Um, and, and maybe that's a great point to to sort of start to wrap up in a way that, you know, if there's a closing thought that I've taken away from this, um, and I'd be curious what your, your takeaway is from the conversation, but mine is that you got to ask the right questions. Um, make sure that no matter what part you are in the in the process, you know ask what is it to go up, what is it to go down. If someone's offering you something with a big credit or a big uh, buyback on the points, like what is it to go up an eighth, what is it to go down an eighth, um, and, and at least understand some of that enough, or at least know who to ask, so that you can translate some of those terms.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Just just making sure that you know that there's a lot of things that go into pricing your loan on a daily basis and and that price is determining the rate right and so you have two separate pieces there in which you always want to inquire right what's what's it going to cost me to go up or down because in certain markets, sometimes it's very little to go down to the next eighth. And hey, you may want to pay that extra $500 to go down an eighth in rate, right? Mm-hmm. But very often, loan officers or even just rate advertisements and banks, they just lead with a rate headline, right? And there's just a lot more to it than that. So you know, I think it's a great takeaway for people to just understand that there's just a lot more behind that flashing 2.75 you see on the TV commercial that comes across.
1: It would also be why when I pre-approved someone and I would recommend if you're getting pre-approved out there, don't ask what today's rate is, round it up a quarter. So generally what I do is if someone is buying a home today or they're getting pre-approved today and they don't know when they're gonna buy or what they're gonna buy, I might pre-approve them. We run all the numbers, I show them everything. And they might be at two and three quarters, but I'm probably going to write that pre-approval or show them their loan estimate at like a rate of three. Why? It's because I'm going to round that up a quarter because I don't know how the pricing is going to move between now and six months from now when you get something under agreement. And so I don't want to shoot your budget and your expectations. I'd much rather give you the good news and know we have that margin to play with to go up in purchase price or or save you some money on your monthly payment. So yeah, you know, it's a great, it's a great practice. So if you're out there, don't just ask what the rate is. Try to go one level deeper. If you have any other questions, please, I encourage you come back next week. We'll have another topic. We'll dive, we, we're not always so super heavy into mortgage talk. Sometimes it's as easy as like, how do you throw your kids on a school bus without them crying? So come back if it's got anything to do with real estate, Um, My goal is to bring well-informed guests like Ryan. So thank you very much for making the time to be here today um, to help you stay informed about everything in and around the
2: world of real estate. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Finance with Factor. Please remember to like, rate, share, and subscribe. Then if you really like us, unsubscribe, and resubscribe again. Of course, that can be our secret, but it helps our ratings. Have an idea for an upcoming topic you want us to cover? Post a comment. For the full video version of this episode or any of our previous episodes, please find, like, and follow Jason on YouTube or Facebook at Jason Factor Mortgage Network and on Instagram at Finance with Factor. All content on Finance with Factor is self published by Jason Factor. Senior Loan Officer, NMLS, number 1401985. All rates, guidelines, and advice discussed on this episode is subject to change. For a full list of disclosures, visit the License and Disclosure page at jasonfactor.com.